0: Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Welcome to the Crop Watch Podcast. I'm Michael Sindelar, Cropping Systems Extension Educator. Today I'm going to be joined by Tamara Jackson Zims and we're going to be talking about soybean diseases. How are you doing today, Tamara?
1: I'm doing great, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm doing good, doing good. Thinking across the state, we've got a lot going on. We've got some parts of the state that have gotten good amount of rain, and they're probably gonna have good yields, but then we've got other parts of the states that are in the drought. How is this gonna affect our soybean diseases, what we have right now, and what we can look forward to the future, or what we should be looking towards to the future? Mm-hmm. Uh, feel free to, to, to start with, okay, we've had rain, this is what <laughs> you should be looking for. And then maybe we'll transition to what people who are in drought should be looking for.
1: Mm-hmm. Things are really complicated right now. And part of that is because of the varying conditions that we're dealing with around the state and maybe even some of that is feel to feel differences and that'll impact what's going on too. And so, you know, in some of these drought areas, maybe they had rain earlier and that might have been during a critical period. And So the thing right now is that a lot of people are talking about patches of yellowing or dying soybeans out in the field and unfortunately are making a lot of assumptions that I don't think are correct about what's causing that and so that's where we're getting the most questions and so uh, right now the most chatter seems to be about sudden death syndrome or SDS and rightfully so that's an important disease for us and that disease is one that we tend to see develop after you know you have had some rain during flowering. And thereafter, you start seeing leaves that are beginning to turn. You have uh, specific types of symptoms in those upper leaves, though, that I think are huge clues. And it really means people should get out and take a look at what's going on in these spots while they're visible to them right now. And uh, or call you know whoever's helping you your crop advisor to come out and take a look if they haven't been so uh, SDS has these symptoms we get yellowing and then eventually brown necrosis between the veins and the veins stay really green but you have a narrow window of time before those leaves die and they defoliate In addition, if you find symptoms like that, you really need to get some plants dug up carefully with a shovel because both sudden death syndrome and brown stem rot have similar leaf symptoms, but the stem symptoms inside the stem can be very different. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you you should reach out and get help. Send samples to our diagnostic clinic or call somebody in to, to help look at that because We have really good resistance to some of these diseases, but it doesn't work if you pick or call it the wrong disease, right? And so, uh, for example, resistance to sudden death syndrome can reduce disease severity by 80%. And that can mean a 12 to 15 bushel difference between a resistant and a susceptible variety. So you want to make sure and get that decision right.
0: Right. You mentioned yellowing spots in the field. Are, are there other things that are causing those yellowing spots that maybe people should be sending their scout out for? Because maybe those yellowing spots where die off isn't just disease.
1: Exactly. Um, in spite of all this drought, people might be surprised to hear that we've had a little white mold show up too if we're looking at diseases. Uh, you remember white mold, the initial infection takes place earlier in the season during flowering. Those flowers specifically are infected with that fungus and we were wet in some of those areas earlier. and uh, Or else we were irrigating and maybe we had uh, an environment under the pivot that was favorable. The fungus continues to spread and now they're seeing the effects of that some of those plants are dying and when you peel back the canopy and look closer you might see cottony white fungus growth on the stems and it starts to make those little uh, it looks like rat droppings it's nasty uh, little survival structures called sclerotia and they they'll develop inside the stem on The outside of the stem or in the Uh, pods—that's another dead giveaway that that's white mold. But then we're getting calls about white mold or SDS when it's not disease. And I think when we see this patchy nature, how it's turning, and you know, some of it's still really green, we've got others that are yellow. Gosh, there's a lot of factors in the field and the soil conditions like compaction that can cause plants to die earlier and drought conditions where they're not able to get up moisture effectively. Uh, you can probably think of other things, Michael, right?
0: Well, I'm just thinking compaction. We had two what harvest falls and in, in spring. So vehicle traffic compaction, that may not have mm-hmm. been a, a, an issue during a normal year, but you throw in a drought year and now that's showing up a little bit more you know, that makes a lot more sense. And then just, you know, mm-hmm. topography, you might have your uh, side slopes turning faster than your valley. So, you know, depending where your water settles, you know, a lot of that mm-hmm. makes sense. There's there's a lot of small variation that uh, can occur in a field, uh, especially if you're not used to the a, a field.
1: So. I think so too. I, I think this is important for us to talk about and uh, get people talking about it too. The other thing I was thinking about, you know, we talked about SDS and brown stem rot. You know, we don't always see symptoms caused by soybean cyst nematode, but sometimes, and actually always, the soybean cyst nematode has populations that are higher in spots randomly around a field. And if those plants are under stress or if they have very high population densities, then it can cause symptoms. And I would guess when you're having stressful symptoms like some of these drought conditions we've had lately, maybe that's the first spots you would notice. And so if you've had those spots or if you've had SDS or brown stem rot and maybe you haven't seen that before, I would especially want to target those spots in the field for a soybean cyst nematode test. Get your soil samples from that area and uh, for soybean cyst samples you know what this is pretty easy you know you can sample during soybean or corn or any other crop because the nematode stays in the upper 8 to 10 inches of the soil it's not going to move deeper like some of the nematodes of corn and so you can sample any time of year uh, until the ground freezes of course and in any crop and get that tested uh, while it's you know still available for free right now and so that can help you plan for variety selection and other problems uh, to deal with. You can d- manage diseases starting in the winter time at no extra cost. That's
0: good thoughts. You know, that's something you can do while you're waiting for your uh, truck to fill up. If you're on the, on the side uh, hauling stuff to the town too.
1: Absolutely. Uh, that's especially
0: if those places are kind of marked out with a flag that, you know, okay, these are where I need to go go take uh, samples at the same time, you know, put that, mm-hmm. put that time to good work.
1: That that's right. So maybe we should throw a probe and uh, a box of bags in all of our trucks or pickups and have that out. And yeah, that's a really efficient use of your time.
0: Oh yeah, and sometimes time is the our, our resource that we don't have enough of. Um, is there anything we really need to think about in some of our drier climates? Um, I, I know I'm in an area where I drive 40 minutes one way, we've had enough rain, I drive 40 minutes another way and I see the crop starting to, to turn really fast and uh started to see a lot of drought symptoms.
1: That's, that's a good point. You know, all of these fungal diseases need moisture at some point, but there's at least one of them that we tend to see more of in those drought conditions and, and, that's charcoal rot and you know we don't spend a lot of time talking about it but in in those dryland corners or in counties in the eastern parts where we don't have irrigation especially we can see some charcoal rot and we've had some already this year and so uh, what you would look for is when you split those lower stems and roots open they take on that silvery gray appearance inside well, that fungus creates millions of these tiny black specks. And the it's supposed to look like charcoal dust and that's why it got its name. But that fungus is competitive even in drought conditions. And so we tend to see it develop during these conditions and in the driest spots of the field, like on those hilltops, knobs. But also you can see charcoal rot in most of our crops uh, not just soybean but also in corn uh, alfalfa and so uh, this is one that you know it can affect it can affect several crops and so crop rotation not really that effective this one's hard Uh, variety selection maybe not that effective either we don't really have good resistance to that disease but knowing what's out there at least uh, you can be mindful of it and uh, Otherwise, if it's something else, you can pick resistance for that sometimes.
0: So you've talked a lot about picking resistance. I'm going to guess that you can pick resistant a variety that's resistant to one disease and then you may uh, have an issue with a different disease that just because it's resistant to one disease. it doesn't mean it's resistant to another. Is that why it's really important to know what's in your field to, to make those selections.
1: That's absolutely right and so that I think the best example I mentioned earlier SDS and brown stem rot can look very similar and we have really good resistance to SDS but if you called it SDS and picked a resistant variety and it turned out instead you had brown stem rot it's not going to be effective against that other disease unless it's resistant to both and so this is a case where it's it's important to look at the ratings that your seed company provides 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 for these diseases. And that can be confusing too. You may want to work closely with your seed company representative and agronomist to interpret some of those ratings. Uh, Many of those scales are uh, 1 to 9 or 0 to 9 and they're often opposing scales too. So if you're bouncing between between companies, you're gonna notice a one doesn't, it may mean good in one scale, or it might be on the bad end in the other scale. And you don't often see the, uh, the extremes of the scales anyway. You're not gonna see a lot of ones and nines. Many of those scales are condensed, so you may see a lot of four, fives, and sixes. But even being one number different can make a big difference as far as what you might expect from that variety for that disease. And if you have a problem in your field, you see what's going on, diagnose it. I, I think record keeping is really critical and not just managing it one year. Most of these pathogens overwinter for multiple years and it's important to continue selecting resistant varieties for that problem year after year.
0: Yeah, so, so it is very important. To, to know Absolutely. what you have so you can make sure that you, you make your best selections and do it multiple years.
1: Absolutely and so that brings up diagnosis and diagnostics and the importance there that that's your first step in management and submitting a sample to the diagnostic clinic may cost you 15-20 you know, bucks. and might save you hundreds or thousands for variety selection and disease management in the coming years.
0: And then let you uh, save some of that yield or protect some of your yield. That's absolutely right. You, you did right. mention earlier that some of those uh, resistant varieties will out yield the ones that are not resistant.
1: They, uh, it makes a big difference. And disease severity, if you can knock back disease severity uh, and prevent those losses, it, it's a cheap way of managing diseases because the uh, we don't have we don't have genetically engineered traits for these diseases. These are, uh, this is resistance that came about with traditional breeding practices. And so that's a, usually the cost of those seed is no more than other comparable varieties.
0: That's good to know. Um, Are there other issues that we need aware of at least on the disease spectrum uh, that may be coming up or is already here?
1: You know, um, I, I guess I want to put in a plug for one last time for frog eye leaf spot. We are seeing frog eye starting to blow up in some fields, and it's been there for a while now. And frog eye leaf spot, you know, is a disease that you tend to see small lesions in the upper leaves first. This is a fungus that overwinters in that crop debris. And it's not new to us, but we've got some new developments in frog eye that people might not have heard about yet. And so you may have heard in other states they've confirmed resistance to the QOI or group 11 fungicides. That's the ones that we used to call strobilurins. And historically, those are the ones that also worked the best. And so we've sprayed a lot of strobilurins urines to manage frog eye leaf spot and other diseases or for the plant health effects that people are chasing. But the other thing that we know now is that we're seeing resistance in a lot of states to that disease. And only just now in this past fall, when we collected samples and had them analyzed, we've now confirmed resistance in Nebraska too. And we collected samples from 10 counties last year and had those samples analyzed. And samples from all 10 of the counties that we sampled came up positive for fungicide resistance. And so that's not a that wasn't a big survey. It wasn't comprehensive across the state. We were just trying to see if we could find it. And unfortunately, we not just found it, we found a lot in what we sampled. In fact, uh, in what they collected from those specific samples, 111 out of 113 isolates of that fungus were resistant. So that's a 98% positive rate. And so we are continuing a more extensive survey now. And so uh, we're collecting samples now for further analysis here at UNL, we have a student and support that we gratefully acknowledge from the Nebraska Soybean Board to look at that more in depth. And so if there's uh, people with frog eye, and especially if they thought they had trouble managing it with a fungicide this year, we'd be interested in getting samples from your field and uh, talking to you about that and looking at those more in depth over, over the coming months.
0: All right. So, um, are, are you just looking for people to go out and pick a few leaves and turn them into like a local extension office for them to make their way to you? Or what are you that looking would work. for as comprehensive study?
1: That would work. You know, if, if we got eight or 10 leaves that had frog eye leaf spot symptoms on them, that would be per- plenty for a field and uh, let us know if a fungicide was sprayed on there. We, uh, we can get the fungus out better uh, if there wasn't, but we need to know how that fungus reacted in the presence of the products too. So there's uh, a lot more work to be done on it and we're just, we're just beginning that too. So we appreciate the help.
0: All right, and just to make it clear, you're, you're not just looking for resistant samples, you're looking for frog- Everything. Least, yep, everything. In, yep. in general, just if you have it and you're willing to donate a, a, couple, <laughs> a couple samples, we'll take it.
1: We'd be glad to.
0: All right. Well, with, with that, we're starting to run a little short on time, and I'm sure there's still a lot of good information. Are there <laughs> any resources out there that you would like to promote um, with what you were talking about? Any crop watch articles or anything related to that?
1: I sure would. And so this week, I'm working with colleague Melissa Bartles, county extension educator from Butler and Polk counties and we're co-authoring an article to try to talk more in depth about some of those soybean diseases that may be causing the mysterious yellow spots in fields. We've also got some historical articles in Crop Watch too and we have a lot of multi-state regional data and articles and publications at the Crop Protection Network that they can that they can look at too and including some of the most recent fungicide efficacy uh, data that we are using for recommendations here. So uh, please let us know in Nebraska Extension if there's any questions you have or if you're having trouble finding any of those resources.
0: All right, Tamara, it's always great to have you on the podcast. I hope you have a great season.
1: You too. Thank you so much.